Well, good evening. It's good to be with you this evening as we uh, continue in our series titled Entrusted, specifically looking uh, this evening at stewarding our families. We've had uh, two messages, one on uh, stewarding our time, another from uh, Josh Womble on stewarding our talents. And tonight, as we take a look at stewardship of the family, uh, together uh, we will be in multiple places in Scripture. So uh, I, I do have the call to worship that we will definitely be referring back to from 2 Timothy. And then, uh, again, the uh, Joshua 24 passage is, is going to kind of be uh, my closing, um, closing passage that we'll use this evening. Um, as we look at stewardship of the family, uh, I think it's important for us to understand that we could take a lot of time and talk about uh, family and, and parenting and, and how to best steward our family, and we will certainly do that tonight. We have the focus in February that's coming up uh, where Josh Green will be teaching uh, an extended uh, period on, uh, on the family. And I think it's important for us to, to, to kind of start our, our time this evening with uh, a definition of the family and, and a right understanding, a biblical understanding of what the family is. And from there, then we'll launch into uh, discussion on stewardship. Um, you may find it interesting that we would even start with a definition of uh, the family or why would we you know, take time to look and see what the Bible defines as, as family. And I, I think the reason why we're doing that is because... Um, uh, there's been lots and lots of um, changes in what we consider families in the world's definition uh, over the several uh, several decades and, and probably even prior to that. But I th think the last several decades for sure we've seen significant change and redefinition of what is considered families. And I, I certainly recognize that due to circumstances of life, such as death and divorce and things like that, family makeups are, are different today that we see in the world oftentimes than, than what we see presented in Scripture. And I want to make sure that you understand that we were going to be looking at the biblical model, the scriptural model for the family. And uh, it's not an attempt uh, to, to, to make uh, anything less on the way that other uh, family structures are, are built today necessarily. We understand if the, a father dies, the mother has to continue to perform duties. Uh, and, and oftentimes other family members will step, step in and try to help out with the father's duties in the family. And certainly the children uh, will continue on missing. Uh, their father, and, and we feel deeply for that. Um, but my, my attempt tonight is not to uh, ignore those things. My attempt tonight is to, to, for us to focus in on what God's Word says, the structure of the family, and then how we uh, as believers are to best steward the family. Josh, Josh and uh, Jake uh, both have done good jobs in providing us some concepts for stewardship uh, one of the things that they did, uh, both of them in their previous sermons, is give us a definition on stewardship. Uh, Jake uh, has said that the, the job, uh, uh, that stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something. Uh, Womble um, basically reiterated that, said he agreed with, agreed with uh, Jake's uh, definition, and then went on to provide an illustration um, about uh, a steward being a waiter of sorts or a go-between between a kitchen and a, and a table where, where people were ordering, if you guys remember the example that he provided from, from last Sunday. And in that, we have this idea that you're managing something that belongs to someone else. And I think that that is an important piece uh, for us as we come to the family tonight in that we are managing something that belongs to someone else. 
that something else is uh, we're managing children that the Lord has given us, but they ultimately belong to the Lord. Um, and it's important for us as we think about stewardship to, to understand that every good and perfect gift has been given to us by God. It comes from above, and it is God's um, that we're managing. We're managing things on, on his behalf. So let's begin by, by, by taking a look here at the, the definition of a family. Again, that family is something that we are entrusted with. We are, we are uh, stewarding on behalf of God. And in a traditional American sense, we, we, we look at the family, and we might say that a family consists of a dad and a mom and some kids. There used to be a joke all the time that was 2.5 kids, right, or 2.3 kids. Uh, today, the numbers are dropping, right? We're seeing fewer and fewer kids born unless you're parenting here. We have had a baby boom here recently, and uh, there's 20-some kids that have been born, so certainly we are, we are well ahead of the United States when it comes to replacement births. Um, and if we're honest uh, about this, this state of marriage, this is not exactly what we see lived out in everyday life. Um, God's original design has been marred by sin. It has been marred by the sinful desires of the heart of men and women. And we see all sorts of things uh, being done in society today and all different sorts of makeups of families. But as we recognize the decay of marriage, we, we want to recognize that that is, that is the effect of sin. It was not an effect of God's original design. And if we were to look into Genesis, and we, we will here in just a second in, in Genesis chapter 2, um, we'll see that trouble starts as soon as sin enters the world, and things continue to precipitously move downhill. Uh, we see sibling rivalry in Adam and Eve's house, if you can call it simply sibling rivalry, as Cain kills his brother Abel. There's corruption on the earth, and it becomes so bad that God floods the earth and uses Noah and his family to essentially reboot uh, mankind. Abram, or Abraham would later start the first season of Sister Wives, Sarah and Hagar edition, right? Uh, as he has more than one wife, we see that move into jealousy and lust and adultery and murder and incest and divorce and all sorts of terrible things that God had not intended for families to look like, but leave it to the sinful people to take it there, right? So if we agree that things are not how they should be, let's begin by looking in Genesis 2, 18 through 25, and see what God originally intended. Scripture says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, it was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife, wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The scripture that we have read many times, you maybe have heard many times at weddings, um, is framing for us the original design for the family. The family is designed to be a father and a mother, 
Um, that is the beginning of the family because we know that there is a further command that is coming that we'll discuss here in a minute to be fruitful and multiply. This we have children added to the family unit. This marriage is a covenant. It's a picture of the church. It is a, a covenant in which that there are, are blessings that will be received from God. God created man. Scripture tells us that there was no suitable helper for him, and as a result, God created Eve. And as a result, they both have distinct, separate makings from God, but they're both human. They're both important. They're equal in value to God. They have distinct roles, but yet they are of one flesh. So man did not invent this concept of being in a committed, loving relationship. God did not uh, need our help with that. He was in, uh, in control, deciding, creating, and it was all part of God's plan for mankind from the very beginning for us to be in family units. So the, the family itself is created by God. It is designed by God. If we look in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, God says again, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds there in the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over the creeping things that creep on the earth. And God creates man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So regardless of our attempts to redefine gender, gender roles, marriage, we simply cannot redefine something that we did not create. We simply cannot redefine something that we didn't create the first definition for. God, in creating this first family, sets up the roles of the father, mother, husband, wife, and subsequently children, brothers and sisters. And as God has created and defined this, he also in turn blessed this, this family unit. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God has blessed this family unit with children, and now the family unit is complete. If we look at the family, the family is made up of three parts. The family mirrors very closely the church and we could spend time talking about how the, the, the father is like the pastor of the home as the pastor is the leader of the church, the spiritual leader of the church. The father is the spiritual leader in the home. We can, we can make some other parallels as we talk about the creating of the home. But the, the family unit as God created it is the unit upon which God is going to build everything. The earth is going to be filled with little families. And in those little families, they're to be taught, they're to be educated, and they're going to learn to follow the Lord. But as we see, that's not what happens in Scripture, right? Which brings us to the main point of our time here this evening. If we are to steward our families well, it's important for us to understand this is what God had designed, what we've discussed, this, this, this creation of the family, but now it's important for us to, to understand what does it look like for a family to be stewarded well in the way that God had intended? What does it look like for us uh, as, as Christians as we 
raise our children, as we interact with our spouse, as we live out our daily life, what does it look like for us to steward well the families that God has given us? And I'll offer three things for you this evening as we begin to look at how we are to steward our families well. First, I believe that we will, if we are to steward our families well, that we will diligently teach and study God's word together. Secondly, if we're to steward our families well, that we will daily pray together. And third, if we're to steward our families well, we will faithfully attend church together. You'll notice there's something consistent in each one of those. It is together. And that togetherness is important because as a family, it's important for us to recognize that it is the togetherness part that the family operates at its best. If the family is separated, if the family has dissensions, if the family has divorce, if the family has lots of other things that can, can occur due to sinfulness of man, the family does not operate and is not going to be as efficient, is not going to be as God-honoring as it could be if it was functioning properly. As we begin to look at what it means to diligently teach and study God's Word together, I want to give you an illustration. Uh, several years ago, uh, my wife and I uh, were, were um, serving uh, some youth at a local church. I was a youth pastor, and um, we had lots of youth that were coming to the church that were unchurched. And I'm using air quotes when I say unchurched, because that's how church people talk about people who don't go to church, right? And this, this group of kids, uh, a lot of them were coming from homes where their parents did not attend church at all, or maybe had not attended church at all. So their, their knowledge of the Bible was relatively low. And when I say relatively low, I believe firmly that our e-kids uh, would be like PhD level compared to some of these uh, young people that were in my youth group. I don't say that as a slight to them. I say that to let you know that they were very worldly. They had all sorts of knowledge about what was on YouTube and what was going on on social media, but they couldn't tell you uh, a name of a disciple, Right. So our lessons were many times the first time they're hearing about these individual characters that we're teaching in, in, in lessons. That partly is, you know, can be frustrating, but I was excited by that, right? I'm telling them for the first time about Jesus Christ. I'm telling them for the first time about John the Baptist, right? It's the way that I feel today teaching the kids and e-kids. Many times when we teach a lesson, you're teaching them for the first time, and there is some excitement that you should have as a teacher knowing that this is the first time that this child is ever hearing this story, and they don't know the details, and you're just so excited to talk to them about it. And that's the way it was for me with this youth group. So one night, we had a young man in our youth group uh, whose name was Aubrey, and he had started coming to our, our meetings primarily because he had friends there. He lived relatively close to the church. He could, he could walk to the church. One of the big draws was we had a meal right before Bible study. And let me tell you what, that will draw some kids in, right? Kids, kids love a free meal and then get to hang out with their friends, and then we sneak Jesus in. No, I was kidding. Um, then we have Bible study, right? So at the beginning of each evening, we would be gathering together. They'd be asking me questions and just talking. And, and he, he said, Mr. Matt, what are we talking about tonight? And I responded simply by saying, well, we're, we're talking about Daniel. And he got this real weird look on his face. And he says, Daniel who? Daniel Boone? 
And there was a laughter from a lot of people, right? I heard some, a couple of you chuckle this evening, but he says, Daniel Boone. And I, <laughs> to this day, I had the hardest time kind of keeping myself composed because when I said Daniel in the Bible, he had no idea who I was talking about. See, this young man, about 12 or 13 years old, was hearing about Daniel and Daniel in the lion's den for the very first time in his life. His parents were not believers. They had never attended church as far as I knew. They had never read or studied the Bible with him at home. And it broke, breaks my heart, really. Um, now, looking back on it, thinking about it, the fact that someone could be as old as he was and have never heard these stories in the Bible, have never really been taught anything about Jesus Christ, helped me understand how important it was for us as parents to not only study, but to teach God's word to our children. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, Scripture says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words so they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. Church, it's important for us to be diligent and careful and persistent in our personal study of God's word. Mothers and fathers studying the word of God diligently and then in turn teaching it to your children. Practicing a sport, a musical instrument, homework. There's lots of other things that we can be distracted by. We'll talk a little bit about that extracurricular stuff here in a little bit. But the most important thing that you can do as a follower of Jesus Christ is teach your children what the Word of God says. Teach them the gospel. Teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Teach them the stories in the Old Testament about how people faithfully followed the Lord even before Christ came. But teach them lest we forget. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 19 says, You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. I love this passage. This passage tells me that wherever I'm going, whatever I'm doing, there are opportunities for me to talk to my children about what God's word says. Whether I am uh, sitting in my house, whether I'm walking by the way, whether I'm lying down, whether I'm in car rider line, whether I'm seeing a double rainbow in Hawaii, I can talk to my children about the awesomeness of God and I can talk to them about his word. It doesn't have to be a long protracted time of me sitting with my Bible open and my kids sitting in a little half circle around me at home. That's awesome, right? But I live at warp speed, as do you. And many times, these conversations are things that are going to come up in the moment as we have the opportunity. And I encourage you, study diligently your word. Hide it in your heart so that when the opportunity comes, when the moment comes for you to talk to your children about it, you can quote or paraphrase God's word to them and talk to them about the truth of what God's word says. 
We have to be diligent in doing that. Next, we must be daily in prayer together. There are a great many concerns that face our families each day. Going to God in prayer is critically important to how we can face each day. I encourage you to develop a daily family prayer time when your kids can offer prayer requests and share things that they have that are things that they're concerned about or things that they want to pray about. Doing so will allow us to build a model for prayer for our children and teach them the importance of going to God with the things that are on our hearts because he cares for us. If we want to look in scripture at an example, and we're not going to look all through this, but I do encourage you to read this. In in John 17, we have uh, Christ praying for his followers, Christ praying for us. And as he prays for us, I, I think that there are lots of things that he prays for his followers, that he's praying for you and I today as followers of Jesus Christ, that we may even be able to pray for our own children. God prays, or Jesus prays in in verse 11 that they would be protected from false teachings. He prays that, that they would be filled with the joy of the Lord, that they would be kept from the evil one in verse 15, that they would be sanctified through God's word Verse 17, that they would remain unified in Christ throughout the generations. That the love of God would be reflected in Christ's message through them into the world. There's all sorts of things that we can look at that we can be praying for our children, our very own children, the same way that Christ prayed for us. And as we pray for our children and as we have these times when we're able to pray for our children, I encourage you to do so and to let them pray, to teach them how to pray. Now, we teach them in eKids every year, every year in our eKids program. We teach about what it means to talk to God. We say that when we talk to God, that we invoke his name by saying his name the same way that I would if I were talking to one of you. I would say your name and then we would begin having a conversation. We do the same thing when we go to God in prayer. We talk about the fact that we're praying in Jesus' name and why it is that we're praying in Jesus' name and how Jesus, when he died on the cross, he, he made a way for us to be forgiven of sins and for us to be able to go directly to God in prayer. And that Jesus is interceding on our behalf and the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. These are all things that we're teaching kids and e-kids, but I only do that once a year. I encourage you to do it every day. Whether it's your kids or your grandkids, I encourage you, implement daily prayer Pray together, teach them, model for them how to pray, how to go to the Lord in prayer. And if you don't know what to pray, I encourage you to take a look at John 17 and see how you may be able to pray for them. Thirdly, the family, as if we're going to have a family that is going to be stewarded well for the Lord, if we're going to be um, seeking to, to, to guide them and, and, and seeking to, uh, to steward areas of their life, all areas of life, we have to prioritize attendance of church together. Over the years, my family has been involved in lots of extracurricular, lots of sports. We have six children. Those six children have participated in 10 different sports. And if you can imagine what a practice schedule looks like for six kids in 10 different sports, plus the games on top of it as seasons come and seasons go, You understand why my vehicle has well over 200,000 miles. It's on its second engine, and Liz and I often wave at each other as we pass on the road. It's crazy at times. And in all of that, 
There's lots of reason, there's lots of excuses that we can make about, oh, we're just really busy and we don't have time to do this and we don't have time to do that. There is no shortage of good things that we can be involved in. Your families are no different. Many of you are almost as crazy as we are and you have lots of kids too, right? There's lots of reasons for us to be busy. And even if you say, well, we just have one kid, trust me, there will still be tons of things that you can be involved in and reasons for you to be so busy that you can't do other things. But I wanna encourage you in this. All of these demands that get put on our uh, our time, all of these demands that get put on um, our, our family, we need to have a proper perspective and we need to manage those opportunities around this framework that I'm talking about, which is prioritizing uh, Bible study, prioritizing prayer, prioritizing church attendance. And I want to remind us of the words of Christ as he spoke to the crowd in, in Mark chapter 8, 34 through 38, where he says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What can we give in return for the soul of our children? We do all of these things with sports to try to get them recognized. You guys may know I have a son who is um, playing basketball at a university. Uh, It is uh, a small university. It was his desire to play there. We had tons of things that would come to us, opportunities to take trainings, opportunities to go to combines, opportunities to play in tournaments and things like that. AAU especially, they wanted us to play on Sunday. And I told him when we first started getting invites to play on Sundays, I said, we're not doing that. If they want to play Saturday ball, Friday ball, we can do that. And we have played on occasion, on Sunday, but we did never signed up for a league that was a Sunday league. Did it hurt his chances at playing somewhere? I don't know. I, I honestly don't. I think God has him where he wants him, and I, and I think it's more important to me and hopefully more important to you than your child getting some scholarship and playing basketball somewhere is the internal destination of their soul. What does it profit a child to gain a scholarship and forfeit their soul? What does it profit a child to be recognized and given accolades on this earth when they cannot stand with confidence before the Lord? I would encourage you not to encourage the forfeiting of the soul to pursue sporting activities or any other sort of extracurricular activity. We need to carefully consider how we prioritize these things in our kids' life. We need to help them understand that there is a balance with participation and training and things that they're going to want to participate in. And it doesn't just apply to sports. It could apply to video games. It could apply to any other thing that we would consider something that might be good in and of itself. But we have to recognize when we begin to prioritize things other than the Lord, we have made that thing an idol. 
And as we begin to prioritize whatever else that is in our lives over our worship of the Lord, our attendance in worship, our studying of the word, our time in prayer, that thing has become our God. I know that these things are not super popular sometimes with with people who are like, well, you know, it's just a couple Sundays here, just a couple Sundays there. This is just for a season. But let me tell you what, I think habits are formed during those seasons. And I think as those habits are formed, those habits are ingrained and they are learned and they know that, oh, well, church will always be there for me. I'm going to pursue these other things. And they grow up into young people who pursue those other things because church will always be there. And they become people who never attend. They become people who never study scripture. They become people who never pray. And they have learned from you that it's okay to pursue those things rather than pursue the Lord. Do not do that to yourself. Do not do that to your children. Do not do that to your family. As we look back at our our call to worship and thinking about desiring to live a godly life, we understand that there will be times where making these decisions to follow after the Lord will come with difficulty. It may come at loss of opportunity. It may come with people not understanding why it is that you're prioritizing these things and why you're living separately or why you're living differently or why you're not doing certain things. But I want to encourage you that if we receive persecution for our following of Jesus Christ, just understand that Christ was persecuted before us. And it is not the world that we're trying to uh, impress with uh, our worldliness. It should be the, the Lord that we're following after. And it, in, in doing so, we want to live our lives out in such a way that they would be an honor to our Lord and that they would bring glory to him. Second Timothy talks about how as a youth, you continue to, it says you have learned and firmly believe knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. I believe that as Paul's writing to Timothy there, he's talking about how he was taught when he was young, the things that Paul taught him when he was there with him as well. Our children are going to be taught. Our children are going to learn. Our children are going to develop habits. My question to you is what... What are we going to allow them to be taught? What are we going to teach them? What are we going to allow them to be involved in? What are we going to do to influence them in a positive direction? How are we going to steward our families? When Joshua was preparing to, uh, to die, uh, if we read in Judges 2, uh, uh, Chapter 2, verses verses 6 or 10, Scripture says that when when Joshua had dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And when the people and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Tenmath Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the Mount of Gash. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. And pay attention. 
And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that the Lord had done for Israel. As families, I firmly believe that we are just one generation away from having families who do not know the Lord or the work that the Lord had done. I don't know how to make this point any clearer or to make it more important or sink in for anyone who's hearing this, but that's what's at stake. If we don't steward our families well, if we don't lead our family in the paths of righteousness, we're but one generation away from a family that does not know the Lord, that does not serve him. And my call to you this evening is like the one that Joshua issued to the Israelites prior to, um, uh, to them going into the, the promised land. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, and then part of this is on the wall at my house as a reminder. Joshua 24, uh, starting in verse 14, says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, that your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Church, will you serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness? Parents, will you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? We need faithful families. We need faithful husbands and wives who will do the hard work of building healthy marriages with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need them to raise resilient families. Those families will serve and strengthen local churches, make positive impacts on their local community, the nation, and the world, all for God's glory. Steward your families well. Be faithful. It's going to be difficult. It will be contrary to what the world does, but that's what we've been called to. Please join me as we pray to close. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for our families. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to steward them well. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to establish studying Scripture and teaching Scripture to our our children, we pray that as, uh, as parents and fathers and mothers that we would, would study on our own and, and spend time in your word, Lord, so that we would be prepared to teach our kids. We pray that we would take advantage of time that we have, Lord, to pray with them, to talk to them about their day, to, to hear about the things that they're concerned about, to share our concerns and to pray together. And finally, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be diligent and continue to attend church together, to worship together, so our children can see us worship, they can see us tithe, they can see us taking notes and paying attention during the service, singing praises to you. God, we pray that you would help us to steward our families well. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen.